0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello, welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. I'm under strict instructions to talk as loud as I can from Kai Delaney. Um, It's Dan Morgan, Oliver Connolly and Kai Delaney uh, for this week's edition. And we are going to take you through Liverpool's mid-term report. Joel Rabinovitz uh, wrote his, penned his on Liverpool.com. This week, so head over to there to check that out. Uh, we might even put a link on this, uh, depending on where you're looking at it or listening to it, uh, as to as to where you can read his um, assessment of Liverpool's season, if you like, broken down in, in different parts, and that's what we're going to do because we're sick and tired to the back seat of talking about centre halves, we're talking about FSG, and are talking about Liverpool not winning games of football. So, with me. Dan, um, is Ollie and, and Kai, as I've mentioned, and we are going to run through the categories, which are player of the season, team performance of the season, individual performance, goal of the season, moment of the season, player with most surprise impact, most disappointing underperformer the low point of the season and the worst VAR call of the season. So hang about until the end for that one because I'm sure it will go off. Um, Ollie Connolly has got a list as long as um, (laughs) the Second Amendment, I think. Um, So let's start. I'll kick us off, shall we? Uh, Player of the season. I am going to still go with Andy Robertson. Um, I think he started the season incredibly well. I think he was our player of the season up until probably the start of December. And I think his tail off is not expected, but I think it's the most understandable across the, the squad. I think the games in his legs are uh, incredible. I think his ability to go again and the engine on him is is incredible. And I think at times it's to his detriment. Um, I think he's probably the one who suffered most. With not having a proper break with not having a proper pre-season and with not having a winter break um but given what he he is like and what we know he's like physically i will back him 100 percent to to get back on that train and and just find another gear over the, the the coming months the running i just think it's it's hard not to not to to ignore but it's hard to ignore how good he was sorry uh, in the first part of this season. He was absolutely incredible. Uh some performances that stick out. I think he was unbelievable against um against Chelsea away. I think the the Messi side Derby at Goodison he's on the next level and he's just he's gone up he's gone up a gear for me. Um I just think the the circumstances of what's gone around him has, has probably hindered him a little bit as it has the, the entire squad. So my player of the season is Andy Robertson so far. Uh, Kai, I'll go for yours.
2: Yeah, so I um, had a bit of a decision to make with this one. Um, kind of went through the squad and honourable shout for Salah while he's probably been out of form recently with the rest of the top three. That's been well documented. He's still the top scorer in the league, which is incredible considering he hasn't scored in the league for four or five games. Um, and then another shout for One Wijnaldum as well while he's not maybe had... The, you know, grabbing all the headlines and things this season I think with all our midfield problems um, he's been Mr. Consistent and you know always delivers a, a 7 or 8 out of 10 and is, is there for Klopp to pick and rely on each week when most of the other midfielders this season have, have been unavailable so I think um, a shout for him as well but for me I couldn't look past uh, Fabinho I know it was Joel's pick as well in his piece and um, I think where would we be? Where would we be without him? Is, is all I can say, really? We've lost. Obviously, everyone knows we lost Van Dyke and the issues we've had at centre back with Matip, and the other injuries that we've picked up. And um, you know, he's he's a holding midfielder, but he's dropped into centre back, and his performances this season he's he's probably been one of the best centre backs in the Premier League, or or even Europe. Um, you'd never know he's not a defender. He's he's looked like he's played there all his life. Um. And you know, for the majority of the season, it's been Fabinho plus one at the back. So, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to think what position would be in if we hadn't have if he hadn't have stepped up so well and, and filled that gap. So, uh, yeah, Fabinho for me.
0: Ollie yeah those are my two i feel thrown off here. I'm spying robbo's face there over kai's shoulder some kind of uh, either product <laughs> or, or bid to, to steal this crown um i'll the to you first inter- for the next one mate don't worry <laughs> the rubber one's interesting because I, I agree with you on this kind of mini dip recently it's the most explainable one and the most like oh you've almost earned a fortnight off mate you know, yeah. you've run yourself into the ground. His him taking on more of the creative burden this season has been fascinating. Also, in terms of corners and set pieces, it, he had this kind of run through the Scottish internationals where he really reached the level that was this is breaking out of any kind of livable bubble of saying he might be the best left back in the in the world to like almost a definitive fact that it's amongst him and two other lads. Like that's the level he reached, and that's not the level that's expected. That's why this little. So-called mini dip now is just him, I think, reverting back to type mostly, and we've come to expect now that he's a guy who can completely break open a game with his pace and delivery from out wide. So I, I think he's right there for being. You is obviously unquestionable. Um, I'll throw Allison in too. I know he's probably not played as many games. You would say to 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 count for this one, but I just keep going back to as a reference last week. Him, he's just become such a match winner now in a way that was not expected of him before. I I think. Similar to the Robertson situation, Black is unbelievable at Atletico Madrid. You know he does almost live on a, on his own planet, and there's been some questions about Allison's delivery, I guess, this year. But in terms of shot stopping and just winning you raw points on his own, um, he has gone to such a level that it is just him and black, and I would have him still a, a decent distance ahead of him, which even 12 months ago you, you couldn't really say.
1: Okay, um, good choices there. We'll I'll come back to you, Ali, for the next one, which is team performance of the season.
0: Yeah, I uh, Crystal Palace is the obvious one, right? 7-0, um uh, makes the most sense, but I just love the something about that Atalanta away game where I left that being like it's on dynasty, back to, you know, two European cups, back-to-back league titles, let's have it. There was the, it, it had all the old zest and all the elements of the old team Had the Salah breakaway goal, had this new lad completely on fire and it, you really felt like that they they will overcome this. That they will find a way to navigate through these murky centre back waters and I thought that was past the the blip of, of any kind of hangover from winning the league title. So to me, there, there's more there's more of an intangible element to that night. As much as anything else, in terms of the, the actual passing of the football, but the way they moved the ball that night is that in Chelsea away, I thought it was the way they moved and recycled the football was unbelievable. But the speed of that night against Atalanta, here comes this this frisky team from Italy. Everyone loves goals galore, and they just tore them apart. And it was like, no, we are a whole other level above this this group stage competition. We don't concern ourselves with that anymore. We've raised our game to to the, you know semi-finals, final four type level.
1: Do you think? Do you think that and? The palace game examples how all of this is sort of built on a bit of a tightrope in that sort of when it goes good, it's like levels of five nil away in the Champions League, seven nil in the Premier League. And I know that's not all the time, but almost, you know, it does feel like and it has as at times through Klopp's tenure that we live on this on this high wire act constantly of it comes, it being either extremely unbelievably good or frustratingly bad.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the difference is last year it was that high wire, but they would still eke out the win last year. They were in know? control
1: of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. and
0: and this year it's like either you know it was win or win in such a spectacular way. We're talking about the Invincibles and Sky's or Graphics are the greatest teams of all times. Mm. And this year it's win, and you're like, oh wow, they're still there. Or obviously, I mean, it's five wins in fifteen games now. You know, yeah. it's it's no longer talk of is if this if this is a crisis. I mean, that's the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah
1: completely Uh, Kai
2: Um, yeah the the Palace one is is an obvious one to look at Um, for me I had to go back a bit earlier into the season it was uh, Liverpool 3 Leicester 0 ah (laughs) so (laughs) Daniel this is why you should go first
1: (laughs) no let's both chat about it Um, I think that's probably the best way to do it if we have a when we both chat about it so go on why is it yours and I'll tell you why it's mine
2: for me, it was looking at the table at the time. I think we were fourth going into it. Leicester was second, um, obviously a couple of points above us at the time. And it was the ninth game of the season, so there's that old adage, you know, the first nine ten games, you get them out of yeah. the way, see where you are. And it, we were approaching that point. Um, and Leicester, as you know, they they were up there last year and, and fell away at the end after lockdown and things. If, if that hadn't happened, they probably would have got Champions League. But um, First few games the season, they were up in second. And it just felt like such a commanding performance. Obviously, we had the, it was a 3-0 victory. It could have easily been more. You remember the scrambles, the half a millimetre for whatever, Firmino's goal wasn't over the line. So it could have been five or six. And it just, it felt like for me, it was, obviously it didn't, the way the season has transpired. But at that time, it felt like, no, we are the champions. You're the, you're the pretenders. And here we are.
1: I, I, that is why it's mine. Is that it was Liverpool telling the world that this is what this team is about yet again. It was it was daring the world to doubt Liverpool. You know, some of the narrative around that game is so easily forgotten. There's no Salah and there's no Trent. Salah, um, I think he's got COVID at the time through the the break with Egypt. And Trent gets his knock at Man City. And James Milner is absolutely incredible at right-back, by the way. And and the, it's quintessential Klopp, Pep Linders, Peter Kravics using what they've got and making a, a game plan around it to beat an opposition. And it was literally using Milner with his passing to just get Liverpool to cut through about three different lines of Leicester's block. And they were in time and time again. Diogo Jota is... There's the Atalanta performance we just touched on. I think it's his best league performance for us, probably. Uh, and then capped off at the end by the fact that all oh, this talk is on Roberto Firmino not scoring and he gets one right at the death. And it was just a reminder of this is the big boy league. You know, this is, you, you come at the king, you best not miss kind of thing. And and Leicester have, Leicester have almost fallen foul to that, in my opinion, in the sense that they've kind of become this this easy target for Liverpool in many people's eyes or they just play into Liverpool's hands it, it it's not the case Liverpool set up in a manner each and every time which specifically deals with with Leicester's threat and it's a different threat every time and I think that was another game whereby we looked at it we were pragmatic to what they were going to do and we just showed why we were champions I think you're completely right
0: I've been calling those Big Brother games all season. I think you've seen it time and again. It's fascinating. It's why this run of of games that could be intimidating over the next six, seven, eight, I actually think could be okay. And it's just what they need is, is these games they had early in the season. Chelsea, I get they got a man sent off, but hey, here's the new title contenders. Sit down, we'll pass the ball around you for 85 minutes. No problem. Same with the Leicester one. The Tottenham one's a bit more bit more if he taught them pretty well executed their game plan but still came away with the results away at the Etihad for 45 minutes unbelievable football unbelievable you know okay you've got to have a resurgence this year watch this 45 minutes new system new approach tore them apart yeah um, so yeah that that to me is is the one that was the most consistent concise through the whole performance of are, you, are you, you think you're at this level this year in this weird season where you might be able to have a title bid this is how champions really do it
1: it almost feels as well that it was the time in which Liverpool. It almost feels like Liverpool's December peak usually came in November. Mm-hmm. It felt. It feels like this was Liverpool at the fittest, at the at the physical, physically sharpest. And it's it's easy to remember that that City game. They they trudged through the last half of that, but they've got the break. I think it's something like two weeks between that and Leicester, and they just come back looking absolutely revitalised. And after that, you know, again, it it seems to dip and we seem to struggle there physically in November, but it, in December, sorry, but it just feels like around that time, around the time of Wolves, we were at our sharpest physically and, that, and it, we showed in that game that, yeah, we, we were right on top of it.
2: Um, I was just looking then as well at the table after that game, City were down in 13th. So they're eight points behind us with the, the game in hand. So I think... As you say, we were looking so good and they were in there. That felt like the time where we were really gonna kick on and dominate the season.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Kyle, come back to you. Uh, individual performance of the season.
2: I have stuck with the theme of my first pick. Um and I have again gone for Fabinho. It was his first performance at centre back. So Chelsea away to 2-0, second game of the season. Um Van Dijk was still playing and it was Fabinho's first game of the season back in there alongside him. And that was the narrative before the game. It was all about Fabinho. The teams came out and it was Werner against Fabinho and he was going to be destroyed and the Chelsea were going to win. And that was going to be the way the game was going to go. But I, I can't recall. He didn't make a mistake. He was phenomenal for the entire game. He, he outperformed Van Dijk over 90 when they when they were the two. Um, for that game and um, yeah there's not too much to say really I think everyone everyone that watched the game will recall how good he was and how impressive he was and how he, he kept burner in his pocket
1: I think we see a different side to him don't we I think we see just how good he is in a 1v1 situation in the last man and you don't obviously he's got the screen behind him when he's playing in the 6 but I think you're right there's there's those two occasions where he's isolated out wide with, with Werner and you're thinking oh god here we go and you just see this this whole other attribute to a player that you thought you knew
0: inside out and comes to the fore. And by the way, when he was at Monaco, he played at right back and he was awful. Like, he was dreadfully out of position. He mm. constantly was doing these slide challenges from behind with these big gangly legs arriving from nowhere to just wipe people out. All of a sudden, he rocks up against Timo Werner. And he's the best one-on-one defender in the world. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, I'll give mine. Um, big shout out for me to Sadio Mane uh, against Arsenal at home Um, tries to kill everyone on the pitch in the first five minutes (laughs) (laughs) literally is all elbows and two footers and then it's one of the most incredible individual pressing displays of football I have ever seen in my life, I have never seen a player as demented as Sadio Mane on that night Um, he is absolutely everywhere he is pressing the life out of Arsenal's back four and goalkeeper and he's turning them round whenever he gets the ball. It's. I, I looked at him that night and thought for, for all he descended to in 1920, I thought that was the, the manifestation of it. That was him sort of at, at Barca front three levels of sort of 2014, 15. It was like, this is the stage and I'm playing on it and you're all playing my game and I love that game uh, it would have been my, my game of the season if I hadn't picked money in a performance um, and and Leicester did hold a, a soft spot but that Arsenal game is is another reminder whereby a team turn up to Anfield and go ahead in the game I hasten to add but then Liverpool just go we're going to show you why we've just won what we've won over the last two years and you're going to take it, and there's no other way around it. Um, and we know what's happened since, and we know the are luck stories we can all we can all revert to, but that Liverpool team is still there. That Liverpool team will come back. That Liverpool team will have Thiago Alcantara in it, I hasten to add. Um, so, for me, it's a reminder. There are reminders in this season, despite all that's gone, of just how good they can be when they're at the strongest. Ollie, who's yours?
0: Yeah, well, I think Jota at Atalanta is probably the right answer. The, the two that stand out to me, one's going to get you off your, off your chair, Dan. We're going to have a Paul in this moment here. <laughs> oh, uh, falling, I, think, I think so. I think Curtis Jones at Fulham. I'm telling you, it's, Curtis Jones at Fulham made me think this lad's going to be in this team for 10, 12 years. There, is, so. there, is, mm-hmm. there is a grace, an elegance, and an excellence that we just don't see from these academy players. And it's completely flipped my whole mindset on how they're bringing those players through. The, it, I never thought it was wrong, but I, I could you could see all the inner workings of, yeah, we want to have the most graceful footballers in Europe who can pass and move and do all that stuff with still a little bit of bite, still with the pressing intensity and with an ability to come in from one week to the next, fully fluent in the system. Not necessarily having to do the Harvey Elliott route of going and getting basically university years where you can just go and be yourself, learn how to be around adults, you know, do all that side of the game and then come in and get your education. We can just graduate them through the classes into the first team and the guy can turn up. This I, I cannot believe the development of him this year. I know that he's not been seen as much over the last few weeks, but there was that run there for three weeks where you were thinking, they're going to have to find a way they have to play him. He's becoming yeah. undroppable. Um, and I don't think you can overstate just how how spectacular he was in that run of games when other senior players were kind of you know flitting in and out of big games that they needed to win, and he really stepped up.
1: What type of player do you see him being down the years, Ollie?
0: I think it has to be that kind of free eight. I think you know the the, the apex would be Kevin De Bruyne, where it's like you know it's almost the the new all around Gerard's box box midfielder, right? Where they, they they play in the channels a bit more than they did shuttle back and forth in the days. I think that. You can see that. Uh, that That is my overall question. I do kind of like him as kind of drifting in Bernardo Silver off the wing. That that mm. That is exciting to me. I just don't think they're going to evolve that way necessarily. Um, so I, I do think that's the big question. In the olden days, you'd say stick him in number 10, right? Let everything go a bit around him. But I, I just think it's getting harder and harder to play with, with that kind of manner. Unless maybe, you know, you evolve four or five years' time Erling and Erling Haaland stood up front and you've got Curtis Jones sat in behind him. Um, but I, the, the growth in the defensive side and the positioning stuff this season is something I did not think we would get for two, three years. I thought he would be the wild card off the bench. He could inject some turbo into the attack if things slogged down, play that Shakira role for, for a year or 18 months. And slowly but surely, they could add the defensive element to the game but they've almost leaned the other way, that we trust him positionally in the middle of midfield when we needed to chuck a right back on against Brighton when things were going haywire. We stuck Curtis Jones at right back. We trusted him. I did not for the life of me see that evolution coming that fast. With him.
1: I, I I think there's a really interesting midfield, you know, of Fabino, Curtis and Thiago. And you imagine so the sort of triangle pivot of the six and almost the two six and a halves, which is ideally what, what the two of them like to play. Curtis is more he's more reserved and more tactically inept uh, more tactically adept rather than I gave him credit for. Um he's he's positionally someone who I think will evolve and and grow as someone who, who dictates. I think now he's in, in this little bit of a halfway house between sort of wanting to be the player he was at the under 23s and and an under 18 level, whereby he was all things to all men, and being what he's being told to be within this Liverpool side. I think getting that access of, of players, and, and that's not not against Jordan Henderson or Gini Minaldom or anyone, by the way, but I just think to give those two players someone like Fabinho behind them, I think you'd see the creativity. I think you'd see the sort of tactical discipline that would surprise a lot of people for a midfield three that looks like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. It's a good shelf. Um I'll come back to you. So, moments of the season. Oh no, oh, goal! of I missed with goal of the season? Sorry,
0: goal of the season. What did I have down for goal of season? Probably something Salah-related. Anything Salah's done this season. Um, I actually might go the Salah at Atlanta, uh, getting a vintage Salah moment where he was on the run. We haven't seen mm-hmm. that in forever. It's all been gathering hit this season, but I still there is something so wonderful still about the Leeds one. The the. The velocity, the noise it makes when it hits the back of the net, you know, he really has just decided I am a poacher now. You get me the ball in front of the net, I'll put it in and we can all move on with our day. Those kind of breakaway goals that were so 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 the hallmark of that first season. I mean, he scored every kind of goal that first season, but those were the best ones, right? Running, spinning in behind, all that type of stuff. Uh, I do miss those. The Atalanta one was a nice throwback. But yeah, I think I'll take that Leeds one, the first Leeds seller.
1: Good shout. good show. God, it feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, Kai?
2: <clears throat> um, I had it between two, um, both from the 7-0 Palace away. The first one for me is Firmino's first one. Um, the the counter starts on the edge of our own box. It's, it's heavy metal football to go very, you know, early doors clock. It's a, a one-two between Firmino and Robertson that spans the length of the pitch. Um, the way that Robertson whipped it in and Firmino took it, Perfectly in his stride, one touch outside the foot into the corner. It was just beautiful. Got me didn't literally get me out of my seat, but got me excited. And um, the other one in that game was Salah's Salah's second off the bench. I think it was a header, and then
0: mm-hmm. he had something yeah. outside the box after. And that's a no backlift. Amazing strike of the ball. That you gotta love a no backlift goal, Dan.
1: I do love a no, no backlift goal. For, for all Danny Murphy's faults, he was he was adept at a no backlift.
2: For for me, that one was it, it wasn't just the goal; it was everything, the circumstances around it. In the the day before, all his interview with AS had come out with Barcelona, Real Madrid, and uh, I'd still would be amazed if it wasn't an interview that he or his agent had kind of manufactured themselves. I don't think those kind of questions get asked without you knowing that they're going to be asked and the wow. the answers were very well rehearsed and you know it's in the club's hands and and that kind of thing. And then obviously he was on the bench and Klopp was asked before the game, is he on the bench because of anything to do with those comments. And of course he said no and I, I doubt it that was the reason. But it seemed like he came off the bench with a, a point to prove and, and that goal was almost a, a goal out of anger and just no I, I'm here and, and this is what I'm about.
1: True for me. Um a very, I'll give a very underrated goal rather than my goal, but a very underrated goal is Sadio Mane's against Everton. Um, don't look at it as a counter-attack. Look at it as Liverpool building through the play, building through the stages and just absolutely right to left, tearing Everton to shreds. Um, it's an incredible goal. The ball from Salah, I think that misses Henderson out and ends up at Robertson's feet is completely intentional. It's an unbelievable well-worked team goal, and when you see that team on the pitch, you know it, it comes when Van Dyke's still on the pitch. When you see that team, and you just replace Ad, uh, Adrian with Allison. Oh my God! You know you sort of realise what we had for what we had in our hands for ten glorious minutes. Um, but the goal I'm going to go for is actually Jota at home to West Ham, and it's all because of Zed and Shakiri they're both substitutes. They both come on the pitch with 15 minutes to go. It looks like Liverpool are going to draw. Henderson gives the ball to Shaqiri, edge of the box, and everything Liverpool are crying out for, he just does with this slide real pass through about five or six players. And the run from Jota is just perfect. And the finish is so easy. And it's just... It's it's another way in which Liverpool beat you. Uh, and you can have this thing of, oh, we're going to sit in and we're going to get a draw. And teams are getting a lot of joy with it now. But around that time, Sheffield United, similar. Liverpool could kill you from the bench. And Liverpool would have different ways in which, if this isn't working, we'll find another way. It was just a reminder of just how good, how mercurially brilliant GHK is. You,
0: you can't forget the Lincoln one off that then. You know, that's that's my favourite goal last <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he knew where Lincoln was. He woke up 10 minutes before on the bus. He had his backpack dish. on when he took that free kick. Unbelievable.
2: I think the finish at uh, West Ham says a lot about Jota as well, because he could, he had a, a square ball to Salah, and you got to remember, Jota, yeah, Jota was kind of in his pump and this is when he was he was scoring, and confidence would have been unbelievably high. But he's the the new boy coming in. He's got Salah waiting for a tap in, who's missed the Liverpool, missed the goals, golden boot every year, and he's yeah. taken a shot on himself, and it's a brilliant finish. But if he misses that, or he saves. The, the the reaction from Salah would have rightly been been you know, a very angry one.
1: His confidence was so that he was never going to miss it. That was the thing, you know that that was just defined him at that moment. And hopefully he comes back in that in that mould. It's arguably the goal I've missed not being in my seat in the cop for the most this season. I just think to be sort of down the throat of that in the stands, I just think it would have absolutely went off.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: And on that on that note, I will go next with moment of the season, and it was actually uh, being back in seat twenty five uh, row twenty five, seat one four one for for Liverpool four Wolves nil. Um, incredibly, sort of poignant and emotional moment for me to to realise, and which I do by the way, how lucky I was to be one of the first two thousand people to get back into Anfield. When we were in Tier Two in December, um, was was a thing in itself. But to to cover it for, for Liverpool.com, which was a privilege, and to, and to sort of tell that story and try and tell it to other people and give them a little sense of what it was like was was great. And it felt like a a sort of a civic duty. And, I, and I'm not being you know I'm not being overly look at me with that. It was just sort of I wanted everyone to be there. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been bothered if. I wouldn't have seen another game live for the rest of that season if, if everyone else could have could have got in. And yeah, it, it was just a reminder that football was an actual, real, and tangible and emotive thing that we we took in the flesh um, and we lived f- for 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 a long time. And something we probably and I probably took for granted being a season ticket holder, which I know is a privilege a lot of people don't have. So. Yeah, let's hope they come back soon. Um but on that note, yeah, Ollie, what was your moment of the season?
0: Oh, one seeing you back in Anfield. <laughs> was a guy. And that first video came through us, saw your beaming face. And yeah, I could see it seeing your eye. I don't think I've ever seen you actually that that emotional, particularly not at work. But no. you were you were completely moved by the moment, which I thought was, you know, was right. And then, I mean, the, the moments are all from that night. It's it's the first time Clock comes out and he goes makes a straight for a beeline to the crowd. He has no interest in this warm-up that's irrelevant to him. And then, obviously, the first fist pumps after, after winning yeah. the game. And, and what I think is so poignant about it now and so frustrating about it now is the, is the false start element to it all that we had it back and the ride is here again. And, and although we all won't be in there at the same time together, we'll all get to go in our little bits and then we can all at least have a bit of that feeling together and it'll, it'll grow and grow throughout the season. And it's almost like this its own journey to itself as it builds towards the, the culmination of having everyone back. Um, and that, that false start element to it stings a little bit. Gen- genuinely,
1: if if Jota's my goal of the season that I missed most not being there for, then the moment I missed not being there for the most was when the record ended. We should have all been there. We should have all clapped them off. We should have all clapped each other off and said, look at the the ride that we've just been on. Look at this. Let's go and do this again. And the manager doesn't get to have us there. We don't get to, to have each other to say, my God, we started this and we ended it. And we're here for each other now. And we get through the next one and the next one and the next one. And I think that's what's killing them at the minute. I really do. I, I think we can be overly, you know, trite or, or emotive about this if if we will want, wanna be, but I think the fact that he doesn't get to go in there and say, Look at them, they all stayed, they clapped you off, they're with us, let's go and do this again. That separation is I think it's it's a real it's a real disappointment and it's a real yeah, it's a real thing that, that is physically hurting this team, I think. Um did you give me a
0: moment, Ali? Or is that it? Is it me being back? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that one if you want. Oh, uh, the first clock fist pumps with fans back. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I give it to the man. He's he is a man for the moment. You know? A bit of extra mustard, a real wind oh, up. Course. Oh yeah, he's the best. Kai, what's yours?
2: You are both going for the emotion there, aren't you? <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. Um, I wrap it up. <laughs> there, there,
2: ha- <laughs> there haven't been many moments. You know, think of last season that could have had ten late winners to choose from and, and moments that stood out there haven't really been that this season spurs at home is is the obvious one the late late winner and then to go on and uh was that that was after palace was it or other way around just before palace um, just before, before yeah before. yeah um so you've got kind of the late winner against spurs who are first we second and you know, that week they it was spurs title to lose now it's city It's been it's been everyone since but um, that at the time felt felt big. Um, for me personally, it's it's a bit of a an out there one. But it was actually before the season started because I, same as most people, I haven't been fortunate enough to go back to a game or anything like that yet. Um, it was from a fan point of view and a work point of view. It was actually the 18th of September, which was uh, otherwise known as Thiago Friday. <laughs> 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 so that that obviously been building up for weeks and it felt felt like months of speculation and then we started getting all these videos leak out from tiago's camp saying thank you for thank you buying for my time there so that happened and then after what felt like a 15 hour day put the laptop down and got a text saying that jota's signing at 10 o'clock tonight so on you go and that all began again so um for me that was that was pretty phenomenal to kind of work through and, and experience that but obviously as a fan um yeah just a, a real high point thinking what, what could come this season, adding those two into the team from last season.
1: It was pure adulation, those two days. It was it was pure sort of yeah, youthful exuberance and and everything that you sort of remember from from where you get into football and when your team signs a great player, it's like the biggest thing in the world. It's a great thing. Um okay. are we just all agreeing that the player with the the most surprising impact is Diogo Jota, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, surprising negative impact. Nabi Kaita, I really thought it was happening. Well, you know, we got this point on the performance. Oh, I've got plenty of people say for that one. <laughs> um, um, yeah, on.
1: yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, the, I, jo- the,
0: jo- the one, the, the thing that's most surprising it is the variety of finishes, the out and out goal scoring, um, yeah. getting in sync to oh, I say getting in sync to the system, almost being so brilliant that things had to shape around him a little bit you know to, to say okay we're going four-two-two-two two, two away at Man City you are too good to leave out of this side and we'll just all get onto the same wavelength don't worry right now that you're not tracking back with our principles on the right hand side we'll mm-hmm. figure it out you're too good going the other way for us yeah. to bother caring about it right now that to me was the, was the big surprise I did think he would be kind of another element off the bench I thought that he would be a long-term play kind of a Mane type uh, mini project from the manager and his team um, but no straight in with you know, left foot, right foot, headers, dinks, power finishes, everything you could hope for. A complete all-round play was not what I thought. We, I mean, it just was not in there in yeah. any of the analysis or the videos at Wolves. He was a completely different player than the one that arrived there. How they foresaw that, whether they even did, I have no idea. Do
1: you think it is that? Do you think he sort of took on a mantle himself and then confidence, everything else, he's just ran with it?
0: Yeah, I think that has to be it, right? It's it has on a roll, yeah. And, and you know... When you play with great players, you automatically become a little bit better. And he's playing with seven world-class players, yeah. you know, when he comes into the team. So it just it, it takes your game up a whole lot. He's getting chances and opportunities and second and third chance he just wouldn't get. Mm. Yeah. He, he
2: For me, he was, as you just said, he was going to come in to be the rotation. He he was our Riyad Mahrez off the bench to bring yeah. in when, when one of the top three need a rest. But I, the, the surprising thing for me was, um, I think it was before the Lincoln game, uh, Pep Linders did the press conference and he he came out and said he's a he's a pressing monster or a pressing machine and I think that obviously the coaching staff and Klopp would have rated him highly but I think that showed how much they valued him and, and his assets that he was going to bring to this team and it maybe looking at that it wasn't such a surprise when they found a way to fit him in the team.
1: Also so potentially it's... how they've seen him as a different player than what he, he came in and become. You know, we haven't seen much of the pressing, let's be honest. We haven't seen him be this pressing monster. He works hard for the team, undoubtedly. But the manner in which he's, I think he's seen the opportunity that, listen, if he wasn't here, if he was still at Wolves and watching Liverpool now, I think he'd be sat there going, I could go into that side and do what he's, you know, what he's eventually come in and done. You know, I think he could see that opportunity for himself. And, and what's what top
0: players do at the end of the day? There was a real giddiness in the voices at that time of the staff talking about him both club and liners at the time of, I think, like you're saying, I'm not sure if it's necessarily the player they didn't know they were going to get. They did the evaluations and all that, and they probably saw and spoke to people given the um, relationships that that Pep has with people in Portugal and what have you. you probably knew a bit more about him than, most other people would know. But there was a real sense I think that we thought we were getting to a little bit more raw than he actually is and this is amazing. And he can do these three things we thought maybe we could get to and he can do them right now. And this is going to be really fun. You could you could hear it seeping out of the press conferences.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All in agreement there. Okay. Um, Kai, give me your disappointing underperformer of the season.
2: Um, Again, I had... Three or four. I won't go through them all because they're probably one or two of yours. But I I decided on Sadio Mane. Um, he hasn't been poor, but he has, I think he's underperformed to his level. I think he, I was looking at his stats before. He's got nine goals and twenty-seven in all competitions, which yeah, you know, it's, it's not it's not bad at all. But I think the level he set last season, and many people felt he almost overtook Salah as as our most important player and our most important forward. Um, I don't think he's reached those levels consistently this season. He's had a couple of spells. I'm not ins- sure entirely on the numbers, but I think he's he scored something like four and five and then four and five or four and six. His goals have come in bursts this season and then he's he's gone missing. Um, I think he went nine games without a goal for Liverpool, which is his longest Stretch since he's become a Liverpool player. So, again, he hasn't been poor. He by by any means, but by his
0: standards, I think he's underperformed. I, I think he's looked lethargic. This this those little 15-minute unplayable spells he used to have or like that that turn. You know, they had the one against United against Wambasaka where they almost get a penalty. You know, he just spins one on the edge of the box and is in behind yeah. and bringing real thrust to the attack that is that gets them on the move. There, haven't been as, there hasn't been as much of that. There's been whole passages of play where for 30 minutes you just haven't had even one of those moments whereas it was so consistent last year and the goals, like you said, Kai. last year he was in the Premier League. We had a great piece at the time on um, the, the goal taking you from a draw to a win the MVP basically who gets the most important goals in a season. He was just lapping the field in the whole Premier League. He basically got the points to win the title and to have that level of a difference. And just when they've needed it this year, it hasn't been there. So I do think he, I think he's been consistent without the the burst that take him from a seven or whatever to a consistently nine out of ten player. I
1: think he's struggling most with how stifled it's become. Um, I think that he's almost like I don't know if you agree, Ollie. With with your knowledge of, of American sports and stuff, but he's almost like he doesn't play as a conventional winger. He's almost like a basketball player in that he stands you up dead. Mm-hmm. He, he stops. He, there's times, let see where he'll will stop dead on the ball, and there's no movement between him and the defender. And then it's a jink one way and it's the other. That's it's it's almost how he plays. He he doesn't he doesn't like necessarily running running onto things. He doesn't like sort of. Something that's in a perpetual motion, he he will he would rather in many senses attack on his terms and attack, slow slow an attack down in many senses to, to then sort of execute it how he wants to execute it. And I think when those spaces aren't there, when those opportunities aren't there, we still see him do it. We still see him take a player out of the game, but then there's just a wall of a defender behind a defender. A space that isn't there an opportunity that isn't available to work up on to or whatever I think he's he's the one struggling the most because he's great on breakaways he's great on Liverpool when when there is space and attack and space to run into but the manner in which he attacks and his his sort of skill set isn't isn't cut out for football in a stagnated sense if, if you know what I mean
0: yeah it I mean, like you say, he moves in like sudden jolts. It's in-out quickness. It's all that type of stuff. And I think that it's almost – uh, there's been a misreading, particularly with him, I think, guy from national analysts, of this idea of the low block and no spacing behind, like you're saying. And that's what's stifled. Well, I think it, it's the cramped nature. It's how narrow everyone's defending. People aren't just yeah. saying we're sitting in a low block. We're sitting in five across the back, and we're sitting just the width of the penalty box. So when he goes, that's one guy or he tries to. There's just a second body you slam into, like – you know. Yeah. Silent Bob or what's his name stepping on the rake or whatever and The Simpsons it's that kind of vibe, you know. Yeah. It's it. There's just it's not the the depth of the pitch because like you said he's having to stop himself and he'll go at his own speed because he knows he's quicker off the burst than almost any defender in the league. It's that once he goes past someone that that's when the, the space gets gets closed out.
2: But when you picture him at his best, it's it's breaking away, isn't it? Chase latching on the end of a through ball, running in in behind, and there just hasn't been the space this season. But as I say, is it's not poor, but just by his standards that he set so high last season, I think he's not quite reached them.
0: Okay, Ollie, who's yours? Uh, Trent's the one. I do have one other one that was—it's just a personal bugbear of mine, which was how bad Connor Cody was at Anfield just that one performance. <laughs> I really want, i was so here for the, the uh, a whole January discourse of should they go and get Connor Cody, and I'm all about that. Can the local guy? Does he just perform better because he loves the shirt? I wanted us to have a month of content. Of conor and three at the bag was two, uh, that's what I was after and he was so bad that night that every Liverpool fan said you know oh, that's, that's just not goal. this conversation anymore. That first goal was
1: was one of the worst defensive actions I've seen. Yeah, really bad. But,
0: but it, it's trend it's still... and and that's the disappointing. That's been the most disappointing one. And I think it's it's patently understandable and he's really young and he's going to be fine. And I, I think you've already seen flashes in the last two games that it, it will start to to come back. And I think come back quickly. Um, but and, and Joel had a great deep dive on this not long ago about that. This is the kind of, stumble every young great player has at some point which is when you kind of get a little bit figured out Mm -hmm. and then and you know people start adjusting to you and then the great level is that you adjust to those adjustments and you're still great and then they try to readjust that and there's no adjustment left to be made and all of a sudden you're a complete player who cannot be stopped and so this is just that trying period and if we weren't in a 24-hour social media news cycle it would be frustrating if we just go into the match each week that he's obviously struggling and it's time to develop but it wouldn't be this kind of like tire fire assault on does he care and all that nonsense going on online it's i think he's fatigued i think he's a bit mentally exhausting the whole squad is it's rare in this kind of pet clop era uh, even going back to just the post folks scenario to have teams go at this level at that point point three years in a row city had to have a, a breather last season it's the same yeah. players for the most part this year bernardo was terrible last year john stones was terrible last year they were exhausted mentally and physically they reset took a year off essentially like a gap year of challenging for the title and came back completely refreshed this year now john stones is a great defender again bernardo's impacting the game again and i think trent more than anyone has that feel of i need a rest give me a mental rest for a season
1: Absolutely. Um, I'll go through mine quickly. It will uh, be Takumi Minamino. Um, I think there's there's arguments that <laughs> I'm not going to do it, Ollie. I'm not going to do it on here. I'll save I'll save them for our own calls. Um, I'll, I'll keep it I'll keep it dignified. There's arguments that he hasn't had a good crack in the side, and he hasn't had a fair crack at the whip, and I get that. But I just think when you watch him play, you can see why. I just don't think, to be honest, he's going to make it as a Liverpool player. I don't think his body shapes right when he receives the ball, ever. Um, I think he he lends himself to being knocked off the ball and to be to be dispossessed very easily. And I think he's at a, a point in time in his Liverpool career and this Liverpool team where this management team don't know how or where to use him um, to try and get the best out of him. And ultimately, when you do, it just feels like it's sticking a plaster over something that is is hard to st- stop the wound. And to be honest, and I think that, in my opinion, you know, I can't really recall a good performance he's had for Liverpool. I don't think he was that great at Crystal Palace. I'll be
0: honest. Yeah, um, I, with him, it what you know, I've written a two and a half thousand word mega profile on him at this point about the whole conundrum that people can go read if they want full thoughts. The thing that the one that I would I would jump on is this notion that he doesn't get opportunities. Players at this level make their own opportunities. I know it sounds trite, but Jordan Shakiri got a chance and was exceptional in, in minimal play, showed something, showed a different element to, to the side. OK, we'll put him in the starting lineup. Like That's just how it works at this level. You have to show every day in training and every glimmer of opportunity you deserve to... You, th- there is no bending-in period after 12 months at this football club. This is the style. We're trying to win league titles.
1: Klopp's you know, narrative around Shakiri when he put him back in, in every interview, was he's training, unbelievable training through the roof that's where you have to meditate that's where you have to and they're obviously seeing something there and it's in minamino that isn't there that isn't what they want and what they like and by the way you know before anyone wants to have a go at me or whatever about this what i would say is it's absolutely fine for him not to work out like it's absolutely fine for him to justify essentially being seven million quid and being from the austrian league that's, that's a, it's, it's a risk that no one loses from, essentially. Liverpool took a chance on a player because the price of him was so low and because the deal on paper from the player they saw at Anfield was a phenomenal, no-risk gamble to take. So if it doesn't work out, then who's lost? Essentially, no one. You know, you can argue could have got a better player in or whatever, but he came in last January, nothing lost.
0: There's also nothing uh, wrong with having a 19th man who's pretty good. He plays, yeah. you know, your final two Champions League group stages, maybe chuck him in against Brighton at home during the season. He plays your Carabao Cup games now. You need those players. And, and if you can raise the floor, you know, at some point, Origi and shikiri are going to leave. They make decent money for squad players. At some point, you have to, like, raise the floor of that squad level and, and get that through 19, OK? I just don't think he's good enough to play at the Premier League level. But if they think that maybe in two, three years, he's going to be a functionable 16th man, then that's... That's a great, that's a fine investment for seven million quid and cheap wages.
2: It's it's absolutely no risk. I think even if he goes in the this summer transfer window, you you're fetching ten to seven million for him from a Bundesliga club or, or whatever it may be. So yeah, yeah, no no one loses.
1: Okay, we'll rattle through the last two quite quickly because I'm aware time's getting on. Um, low point of the season. Uh, Kai, give me yours.
2: Uh, Burnley. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was obviously the moment we lost our home record, and it was the moment to put it simply that it it felt for me, it turned from a blip to more than a blip.
0: Fair play, Ollie? Uh The moment the news of Joe Gomez's injury came through. Yeah, interestingly, there is a video of
1: that knocking around <laughs> um, from this very podcast. But yeah, it was. That that just felt cruel, to be honest. That just felt very. Oh, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I in light of Van Dyke, obviously, that was it was the double, the double blow, and the thinking maybe you could recover from this, and maybe you know, still I think we'd win the league title, and then maybe you can do something in Europe. Maybe Van Dyke comes back. So to lose them both like that was, like you said, just cruel.
1: Mine was the Jurgen Klopp Des Kelly interview. I think it was after Brighton. Um, I, I maintain that I've never seen a football manager of that level be spoken to like that by anyone in a in a, in a professional capacity. I thought it was hugely personal. I thought it was manufactured in a way that he wanted to get his vendetta across. And I genuinely I genuinely feel that it was bang out of order. And I still do to this day. Um I think it was it was really, really sort of crossing the line um from what's expected and what's what's supposed to be objective um interviewing an objective in a sense uh, broadcasting from from bt I, I think they were bang bang out of order to allow it not saying whether they they knew about it or not but it certainly seems that it was encouraged at the time and it certainly seems like it formed part of a narrative that became very ugly very quickly and it i'll be honest I might be biased in this, but I was I was with the Klopp in, in scratching my head, going sort of what has just gone on there. Um, real, real low point and one that winds me up still to this day. To be honest,
2: were there were there stories going around it? They were friends out, kind of outside of football. Yeah, I, you just, know, I, I don't know something about them arm wrestling and nights out. guy kind of, I don't know how true it was, but stuff like yeah. that I saw after it.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was um, it was very distasteful, in my opinion. Um, final one, worst VAR call. Um, I'm going to go fabino against Sheffield United to this day. Oh, yeah. I still don't know the rule about that, to be <laughs> honest. It, to me, it's just like, yeah, that's a free kick. And if it happens 100 times again, I will probably go to the grave thinking that it was a free kick and not a penalty. Um, and it was, yeah, a waste of everyone's time in many senses. Uh, Kai?
2: The offside, Everton away, last-minute Henderson God, winner, yeah. when Sadio Mane was not offside. I still stand by it, he, he wasn't offside.
0: Yeah. And on the day we're recording this, they just changed the offside rule again. Yeah. yeah. They, just, they decided, we're changing it again, don't worry about it, we'll figure if it out. We'll into the then,
2: yeah. Let's say you get three points and then we'll change the rules.
0: The oh, one yeah. for me is uh, Robertson at Brighton. Uh, I think you can still kind of consider, was it a penalty, kick, the standard fire, all that stuff. It's just that that one stings the most because if they just got through that game, it was such a, a – it was a game they shouldn't have won. They didn't deserve to win. And it was just like if you can just rob that game on the road and pick up those three points, it is one of those things that just kind of you go throughout the week there with some confidence and then you're flying to mm-hmm. the next game from the first minute. And it really felt like I had the chance to – to be one of those title winning type wins where you just scrap one away and it was it was taken away from them, I think, wrongly. Um I do see the argument for it compared to some of the other Stonewall ones that are just wrong decisions. Um that that one I think is the one that has the has the most lasting consequences beyond obviously all of the Merseyside Derby ones being Van Dyke's injury and in a red card, being the second red card antiago and being obviously the the last minute winner.
1: Absolutely. Okay, that's uh, been the Liverpool.com podcast for this week. It's been the half-term report for Liverpool, if you like. We hope it's provided you with some context, some clarity maybe, I don't know. Um, But we've certainly enjoyed doing it. So huge thanks to Ollie, huge thanks to Kai. And we'll see you next week.
2: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.